0: listening to the Island Christian Church of Hope podcast. Today's message given on October 29th, 2017 is titled Reform. How many of you have ever had one of those awkward moments where you're having a conversation with someone that you just met and you think they are someone other than who they really are? Let me see. Yeah, you know, it's really awkward. You're like talking something and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, you say something and they don't respond the way you think and you're like, hmm, did I, did I miss something? That, that happened to me. I am involved with the Holbrook Chamber of Commerce and uh, I meet a lot of people there and, and we really enjoy getting together. And I meet people, business people in the community. And there is also an elder from the local Lutheran church just over the other side of Holbrook who comes. And he and I have become good friends through this. And one time at a social networking gathering, we're all standing around, and uh, he comes up and he introduces me to a, uh, a man who's dressed in a clerical collar, and somehow I got the impression, he oh, this is Pastor so-and-so, and I figured, oh, because this guy is the elder, I said, I figured it was his pastor who was there. And so I'm like, oh, great, great to meet you, and so we're talking for a little while, And then the the Lutheran elder comes out. He goes, hey, you know, it's the 500th anniversary. Are you doing anything special there? And I'm sitting there like, 500th anniversary of what? What is this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, Luther. This is the, you know, Luther uh, nailed the 95 thesis on the Wittenberg door 500 years ago. So I'm like... Oh yeah, that's right. That must be what he's talking about. And then his pastor, who I thought or at least the person who I thought was his pastor, says he goes, "Oh, is that coming up this year?" And I'm like, "Wait, what? Lutheran pastor wouldn't know that this is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation." I mean, you know, and we're going on and so I just sort of say something, you know, you know how sometimes you say something just to kind of fill the dead space. So I said, "Oh, well, we like Luther too." You know, <laughs> I couldn't think of anything better. And then we started to talk a little bit about it. And then slowly this, this pastor just kind of slipped away from the conversation. So I, I looked at my friend and I say, gee, I, I, you know, I, I'm not judging, but I would think, you know, your pastor would know that it was the 500th anniversary. He goes, oh, that's not my pastor. That's the local Catholic priest. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, now at least it makes sense. And, and I've become friends with him through this in, in the time. And so, you know, listen, um, I have many friends who are Roman Catholics. I know many of you have come from that or, or even in that tradition. And this is not a, let's, let's bash another group of people because you know me well enough. I don't bash people, right? Right? Right. Good. But I have honestly never heard a message on the reformation. And I've been a Christian now for quite a long time. I have never heard, I've heard bits and pieces, but I have never heard a full message. And that kind of got me thinking. I was actually thinking of doing a series on it, but we we did our Rediscovering the Gospel series and that stretched out longer than I originally thought. So we're going to just one day today, we're going to look at something that happened You know, the event happened 500 years ago, but a process had actually started before that. And I think we all can learn something about this significant event. You know, but however, just as the reformers were trying to bring to light issues that were out of whack with the church of their day, I think we not only want to look back at history, but we should look at issues that are affecting Christians and the church today and see how God wants to reform us to live each day according to his word. So I'm calling this message Reformed, you know, re-formed. And uh, we're going to take a look at the, what happened in history, but then not, we're not going to just look at that. We're going to look at what is God wanting to do to reform us today. You see, a single event changed the world. It was October 31st, 1517. Brother Martin Luther, a monk and a scholar, had struggled for years with his church. He was greatly disturbed by an unprecedented sale of something called indulgences. You see, what an indulgence was, was an indulgence was something that essentially would cause people to be forgiven for past, present, and future sins. But it was not something that was according to Jesus. It was actually essentially a pardon from the church. And the thing that made it extra horrible was that they were for sale. So you could almost pay to play. Okay? You would buy up these indulgences and then live any way you wanted knowing that, you know, well, you wouldn't spend that long in purgatory. In fact, there was this saying that said, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. I mean, I remember that even, they taught that in high school history when I was there. I don't know if they teach that nowadays. Um, Kids, do they teach that in high school? No, they don't teach that in high school history now. But, uh, you know, I still remember that saying. And this whole thing Really sickened Martin Luther. Can we buy our way into heaven? Certainly not. Nobody can buy our way into heaven. Jesus paid the way so that we can go into heaven. And so Martin Luther decided he had to do something about it. He had to speak out. Now, why October 31st? Well, you see, November 1st held a special place in the church calendar, okay? It was called All Souls Day, or or some, some of you have heard it maybe as All Saints Day, right? All Souls Day. And on November 1st, 500 years ago, 1517, a massive exhibit of newly acquired relics would be on display in Wittenberg, Germany, Luther's home city. People would come from all over. They would genuflect before the relics, And allegedly, they thought they would be taking hundreds, if not thousands of years' time off of their time in purgatory. Luther's soul was greatly troubled, as this seemed wrong. Now, Luther, as I said, was a scholar, and so he took a quill pen in hand, and he penned the 95 Theses. These were intended to spark a debate, to stir some soul-searching among his fellow brothers in the church. And the 95 Theses sparked far more than just a debate. They revealed that the church was far beyond rehabilitation. The church needed a reformation. And so that's what we're talking about today. The key message of the reformation was that the church was preaching a heretical and an incorrect way of salvation that would ultimately fail to save people who followed it. It was not, it didn't work, but yet people were following this. And there were essentially uh, we, we read through the 95 thesis, and you know you could do it there online if you want to. but let me kind of summarize it so you know just, just let me summarize it. I'll leave it at that. I don't know that many of you are going to go down and Google it, maybe some of you will. But there were mainly three points in these 95 theses. The first point that is in many of them is that the selling of indulgences to finance building of churches is wrong. You see, there was, the church was building all these churches and cathedrals, and they needed the funds in order to do it. So somebody got the brilliant or terrible idea, I should say, that by selling these things, they could get some cash flow coming in, and they could build these wonderful edifices. Well, that is just wrong. The second thing that was um, uh, you know, kind of a theme in the 95 Thesis is that you know, the Pope has no power over purgatory. Indulgences cannot affect reconciliation with God. And something that he said that was really cool, he says, the Pope can only remove penalties which he himself has imposed. If the Pope does have power to release anyone from purgatory, then why doesn't he just abolish purgatory by letting everyone out? I mean, that sounds good, doesn't it, right? You know, but if you have to pay to play and get out, and listen, we know that I cannot find purgatory anywhere in my Bible. That is not something that is in the scripture. And that was something that you know, the Reformation took time, you know, and they didn't get it all right at the beginning. But they were getting at some of the key things, and eventually they realized, gee, as they started to study scripture more, they're like, gee, purgatory isn't in the Bible either. So don't get down on them because they're talking about purgatory at this point. So, And then the third thing that they kind of, that in these theses, was that the buying of indulgences gives people a false sense of security and endangers their salvation. Because, you know, how many of you ever bought something that promised something and it didn't deliver, right? Uh, Mmm, wonderful new diet pills. How'd that work? Not for me, you know? And we've all been sold a false bill of goods. And actually, who's the salesman of the biggest false bill of goods in the world? Satan, the enemy, because he's the father of lies. And so if he can get whole groups of people to believe a lie, then they can't believe the truth and find rest and eternal rest for their souls in glory with God. So, listen, those are kind of the three main points of the 95 Thesis. And, you know, the Reformation actually began long before Luther, almost 200 years before this date that's celebrated There were men like John Wycliffe and John Huss who began to stand up for the truth of God. John Huss actually died for his faith. And Wycliffe began to translate the scriptures from Latin into English. You see, up to that point, unless you knew Latin, you could not read the scriptures and understand them if you could even get access to them, you know. Gutenberg came on later and got the printing press going which got the scriptures out but they were still in Latin so Wycliffe started to translate the scriptures into England, into English and William Tyndale also had a monumental role in translating the Bible into English so for the English speaking world but also he was murdered by being burnt at the stake for doing an abominable thing like that. These men were not only concerned with what the scriptures taught, but they were concerned that the common people had access to read the Bible in their own language. And historians describe the Reformation by saying that these men, these early men, Wycliffe, Tyndale, and Huss, they built and laid the bonfire, and Luther simply lit the match and held it to the wood when he nailed the 95 Thesis onto the church door. So the result was that Europe was set ablaze with the biblical doctrines of grace. So that's kind of a little flyover of the history of the Reformation. It's fascinating. You can find out a lot more. But I don't want to take time on the historical thing today. I want to take a look at, well, what does that mean to us right now where we are? And the essence of the Reformation is captured in five solas. Sola in Latin means only. So in these five only's, and there are these sayings that kind of summarize the message of the Reformation. It's sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. Sola Christo, salvation is in Christ alone. Sola fide, salvation is through faith alone. Sola gratia, salvation is by grace alone. And Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Now, we're going to look at these five onlys to see what they mean, but I want to say right up front, and you have to understand this, removing any of the onlys produces a defective salvation. If you take any one of these out of the equation, you now have a defective view of salvation. And Thankfully, Luther pointed out that these things were missing in the church of his day. And, you know, they they were probably missing all of them, okay? Now, we hopefully aren't missing any of them, but I don't know the path that you've come to get here, and perhaps maybe one or more of them might be a little out of balance in your life. So as we study them, I want you to think about that, and perhaps God will put his finger on something that might need a little bit of an adjustment in you. So let's have a look at them. The first one, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Scripture alone is our authority. It's the Bible. And nothing else is our authority. I'd like you to turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. This is a very familiar verse to people who have read the Bible. It's one of my memory verses. Unfortunately, I learned it in a different translation than we're using here, so I'm going to read it. Um, Just an aside, if you ever memorize scripture, don't try to ever relearn it in a different translation. If you change the Bible translation that you use, if you learned it in one translation, keep it in that. Just keep it good. Otherwise, you get all crossed up as you try to say it. I've I've done that, and it it doesn't end well. So anyway, let's take a look at this. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, okay? Scripture is the authority. If I teach you something that I cannot back up in scripture, don't listen to what I say, okay? That's my opinion. Maybe I have a good opinion. Maybe I don't. But anything that has authority for our faith and our practice has to come from the scripture. And when it says scripture is breathed out by God, that's what the word inspired comes from. Inspire is breath. Breathed out. It's inspired. God has moved men and women along by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pen the words that he wants us to. Even today, many years after they were written, to be there. And Scripture is useful for teaching, okay, for reproof, for correction, okay, and for training in righteousness. Does that sound authoritative to you? It is. It is the authority. And um, listen, without Scripture alone, the other solas, the other onlys, are in danger of being lost. Because all these five have their basis in the scripture. And when you start elevating something else to the same level or even above scripture, you then come to what I call the book of second opinions. It's not in the Bible. But if you start reading stuff and ordering your life according to second opinions, you know, there's just no authority. I mean, there might be helpful stuff in there, but it's not authoritative. So we have to remember the authority comes from Scripture alone. The second message of the the Reformation was sola Christo. Salvation is in Christ alone. I'm going to read this. You don't have to turn there right now, but 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony at the proper time. Okay? There is one mediator. Why do you need a mediator? Anyone know what a mediator is? When you have two parties that need to be reconciled, one way to do that is to get a mediator involved, which is someone who comes in hears what's going on, and then tries to get the parties to agree on something. Well, that's not exactly how Jesus worked. Jesus was the mediator by living a perfect life, never deserving punishment for any sins, And yet, he received a horrible punishment for sins by willingly going to the cross and dying on the cross in our place because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we deserve the wrath of a holy God. But instead... God laid his wrath and put it upon Jesus on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of sins. And not only that, Jesus lived a perfect life and he was perfectly righteous. And when we put our faith and our trust in him, all his righteousness gets credited to yours and to my account. It's only by Christ. It's not by Christ and something else. It's not by Christ and being baptized. It's not by Christ and following this. It's not by Christ and doing works for the poor. It's not I mean some of those things might be good things, but it is by Christ alone. We cannot add one iota of a thing to what Christ did on the cross because he his sacrifice was full and complete payment for the penalties of our sins. So, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the, Christ, the, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So, that's Christ only, solo Christo. Okay, the third only, or sola, is sola fide. Salvation is through faith alone. Faith is a free salvation is a free gift and it needs to be appropriated by faith. Romans 3.28 says this, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You see what was happening was people did not require faith where they were being taught. It doesn't take faith. You just have to kind of pay your way. You need to buy these indulgences and you need to do good works and then you know, and, and, and quite frankly, that, that view is still hold today. If you ask most people, they'll say, well, here's how I think it works. You put your good works in this hand, you put your bad sins in this hand. And if the good works outweigh the bad sins, then you go to heaven. And if the bad sins outweigh the good works, then you go to hell. Would you agree that that's kind of a, a common belief of this day? You know, but that's not in scripture. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? Everyone, nobody can do enough good because it's not dependent upon us. And the way, what we have to do is we have to have faith and we have to put our complete trust in what Jesus did on the cross. And it's a part of works of the law. However, I think there is a little misunderstanding sometimes of this, okay? Faith alone is not an exemption from good works. Now, wait, Pastor Bob, are you preaching heresy? No, I'm not. I'm not talking about salvation here. Faith is the way to salvation. But then once we have come to faith in Christ, God has so much stuff that he wants to accomplish in this world, And he chooses, for whatever reason he does, he chooses to do it through you and through me. So we become, as people say, his hands and his feet. We become the person who comes up to somebody else who's having a bad day. And we're the one that gives them a kind word. We're the one that act essentially as his agents. So it doesn't get us off the hook from doing good works. And there are some people who will be like, oh, well, you know, it's faith alone. I, I, yes, it's faith alone to save us. But faith alone is not an exemption from good works. We are justified through faith alone, but faith is never alone. You see that? If it's just faith without anything else, it's probably not faith. The faith that justifies always produces a life of holiness. Now, that does not mean perfect Holiness, because, you know, even as Jim confessed today, you know, we've all had crummy thoughts, and, crummy, and and we're so grateful for God's grace, okay? But those who claim to be right with God, but then live like the devil, demonstrate that they never had saving faith in the first place. So it's not works that justify us. It's faith alone that justifies. us, but then works follow. And that's how other people are helped. You see, and and we kind of get helped in the process too, I think. So uh, the fourth sola, the fourth ola, is sola gratia. Salvation is by grace alone. You see, salvation comes from what God has done rather than what we do. Okay? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So there it talks about two of them. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's a gift. Um, if you have to work for a gift, have you received a gift? Not at all, okay? I know some people gift in a guilty sort of a sense. You know, they kind of like give you something, and then they hope to get something back in return. That's not what God does. It is a free gift of God. There are no strings attached, okay? Um, You know, in fact, we can look at these last three solas. I'd like you to turn to this verse. I'd like you to turn to Romans 3. I referred to it a little before, but I want to pick this apart. Take a look in your Bibles. Romans 3, starting in verse 23. And we're going to see that faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone are right here. It okay? starts off by saying all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. Justify means made right, legally declared, not guilty. We are justified by his, what's the next word? Grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, I'll explain that in a minute, to be received by faith. So we have grace, Christ Jesus, and faith. Three of those come right from this verse. Now, what is a propitiation? Not a word that we often use, okay? Pro means towards, and propitiation is an appeasement. You see, God is perfectly holy. God cannot tolerate any sin because he is perfectly holy I used an example a couple of weeks ago If I, I said um, anyone, would anyone like a drink from this bottle and you're like no Pastor Bob you drank out of it I don't want it I, I get that but what if this was sealed and then if I said what if there was a, de- a couple of drops of a deadly disease in this bottle it came from New Jersey oh boy <laughs> Sorry, New Jerseyans, don't mean to offend. But, um, and if I passed it around, would any of you drink from it? Obviously not. Nobody would want to drink from it, okay? Because even just a drop or two of something in this pollutes and taints the whole thing. And God is so holy that sin cannot enter into his presence, not even a little bit. And so sin has to be punished. God's wrath is poured out on sin. However, if God was only just and only did the just thing, we would all just get zapped and annihilated. But God is gracious. God is merciful. And so, you know, he couldn't just like, oh, well, we'll just kind of forgive all the sin. I mean, that would be like looking at the Holocaust and saying, oh, well, you know, all those innocent Jewish people who were killed, let's just forget about it and overlook it. And in fact, revisionist history, there are these wackadoodles now who are trying to say, well, the Holocaust really didn't happen. Yeah, right. Wake up. Come on. It did. And yet, people are trying to overlook and just pardon without any justice. Is that right? Not at all. Not at all. But God can't do, you know, a just God can't just overlook sin. But he punished it instead of on you and me. He punished it in his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And that's how he is both just and merciful. Justice and mercy in Jesus was satisfied in the gift on the cross. So... Um, So that propitiation is essentially, it's having God look favorably on the sacrifice of Jesus and pouring his wrath on Jesus so that it can be received by us. How? By what's the word in verse 25? By what? Faith. And it's by grace and it's by Christ alone. You see, the reformers never tired of saying that justification is by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. That was one of the sayings that went around the day. uh, Justification is by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. So that's four of the solas, the onlys. Let's look at the last one now. Soli Deo Gloria." to the glory of God alone. God's glory alone is more than just something that church people say. You know, people like say, oh yeah, you know, to God be the glory, you know, and that's true, but it's more than that. You see, when salvation occurs, the only way that God designed it, who gets all the glory? He does. He gets the glory. And then we are told in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, Do all to the glory of God. So everything in these other four solas is kind of wrapped up in this fifth one, to the glory of God alone. So now let me ask you a question. Think about this. Which one of these solas is the most important one? Think about it. There's five of them. One of them has to be the most important, right? Uh, Trick question. They all stand together. That would be me like asking Dr. Ed, um, Ed, what is the most important vital organ? All of them, right. Okay, you know, Jim, would you like to give up one of them? Well, you gave up a kidney, but you still had another one, right? You know, yeah, okay. So, you know, listen, what vital organ would you want to give up? Because if you lose one of the vital organs and there's not a redundant one, you're dead. And it's the same thing here. Removing any of the only's produces a defective salvation. Well, let's bring this home. What if someone like Luther today were to write theses or indictments and nail them on the door of modern Christianity today? What might they say in this indictment? I have a couple of things. One I would say is there's more entertainment and non-essential activity than concern for lost souls. There's more inward focus than outward focus. There is a buffet table of beliefs rather than scriptural authority. You know, I mean, look, how many of you like a buffet? Right, we all love a buffet. You come up and you pick the stuff that you want, and you leave the cauliflower aside. Maybe some of you like cauliflower. I like it if you put if you put garlic on it. I'm good with it, but you know we kind of pick, okay? You know, or the liver. I mean, maybe some of you go for the liver. I don't know. I'm glad I have one, but I don't want to eat any. So you know, but and that's kind of what happens with beliefs today. Christianity is sort of becoming a pick and choose. And rather than looking at the scriptural authority in everything. And there's another thing, too, that I think is an indictment. And this is, you know, this is just across the American church. I don't know how this is in other countries. But people who do research, they say that there is a lack of devotion when the body gathers. There's a lack of devotion when the body of Christ, the church, gathers. You know, years ago, people kind of made it a habit To gather all the time. And now, you know, people when it's like, you know, um, I think the new normal is like less than once a month, something like that. And yet scripture says, let us consider how we may spur one another onto love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, I love it. I look forward. Today, we were we were just praying with the worship team beforehand and Marie says, "Sunday is my favorite day of the week. I am so happy. I can't wait to gather with God's people and worship him." God bless you, Marie. You're awesome. I just, you just you don't know how that warmed my heart when I heard that this morning. And that should be our attitude. It should be, we get to be with God's people, and even better, we get to be with God. And so I think that's a problem. That's an indictment, I would say, on the American church. Okay? Now, of the five onlys, would you think that any of these onlys need to be reemphasized today? I think so. I think so. Okay, here's just some thoughts that came to my mind. Probably you have others that came to yours. The scripture only one. Okay, listen, devotionals and Christian books, while they're nice, they cannot take the place of scripture. Listening to somebody on TV cannot take the place of scripture, even church attendance cannot take the place of scripture. Because inconsistent scripture reading starves us spiritually, okay? I eat three square a day and then a couple of snacks, and I am well-fed. But we need to be well-fed spiritually as well, and that comes from reading his word, okay? I think that one needs to be emphasized, okay? I'm going to lump grace and faith together because they're kind of, oh, they're, they're very similar, Okay, I think people either have an overemphasis or an underemphasis on what we do, the works. Okay, some people have been brought up in a tradition where you're just like, "Oh, I gotta keep doing, and I hope I make it. I gotta keep going, and I hope I eventually make it to heaven." You know? And listen, I get your devotion there, but remember, the way we get to heaven is on the merits of. Christ alone. And then there, the other side of that coin, though, is like people like, yep, I'm headed to heaven, and now I'm going to live the way I want right now. I'm not saying that's any of you guys, but I think that is something that has crept in, and that's something that we need to look at. Have a look at this verse. We read, I read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which is, you know, for it is by grace that you have been saved, and this is not yourself, it's a gift. Look at what comes right after it in verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, we are created to do good works, not to get us right with God. That's what religion says. Religion says you got to do something to get right with God. Christianity says Jesus did something so we can get right with God. And then, as a response to that, we can do good works. To help others. So I think that's, an, that's another area um, that needs some revisiting. On the Christ alone, okay, I think the culture, and I'm not indicting the church in this, but a lot of churches have actually gone down this path, which is sickening. But the culture as a whole, and, and tell me if you've seen this, it's, it accepts Jesus as a good example, Right? People love Jesus. You know, oh, he lived a great life. He did good things. He fed the hungry. He took care of this. He raised people. Okay? They look at that, but they're intolerant when you say that, as he said, that he is the only way to be saved. Right? And this has caused, I think, some Christians to become timid, or what I call squishy you know what I mean, by squishy, you know, to kind of lose the backbone. No, we shouldn't go out and offend people and come out with the bullhorn and say, there is one way to be saved. No, no, no. But also, you know, we don't have to act stupid either. And it be like, you know, somebody says, well, I, I think that's pretty intolerant. You know, you know, and then you're like, yeah, yeah. I, I, we don't say anything at all because we don't know what to say. Here's what you can say if somebody says that to you. If they say, well, Jesus was a great teacher and a great example, But, you know, clearly there's got to be more than one way to God. You can turn and show them that in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And so if he was a good teacher and he taught that, and that's not true, would he then be a good teacher? Not at all. So, you know, there are things we can do, but listen... You know, just realize that Christ is the only way to salvation. We don't need to become squishy. So. And then the last thing to focus on that maybe we need some reforming is to the glory of God alone. There is a plethora right now of what I call celebrity churches, pastors, and ministries. Okay, They might be doing some good things. But listen, if any one of them is taking the glory away from God, watch out. Watch out, there have been some pastors who i I liked what they were saying, and I thought they were doing a good job and Then something happened, and all of a sudden one day I find out they 're no longer a pastor they 've stepped to the side because they got kind of too big for their own you know they, you know it 's like they started to think of things and they started to think of themselves as greater than they really were they didn 't give the glory to God, and then they fell, and God removed them so listen to the to God be the glory alone. And if we remove any of the only's, it produces a defective salvation. So let me close by asking you this. What about you? In which of these five only's do you need reformation? Or do you need to be reformed? God is in the business to reform you into who you need to be. The question is, will you let them do it? Here's what I'd like you to do to take this home. This week, ask God, which only should I focus on? You know the five. I've talked about them. If you didn't get them down and you're like, what is it? Just look up five solas and you'll see the list of them there. Ask God, which one should I focus on? And listen, if he says, you're doing good, then great celebrate it and give praise to God. You know, don't go on a fishing trip looking for something that isn't there. But I'll bet most of us have one that or maybe more that we could focus on this way. So listen, let's think about these five onlys and let's examine ourselves. And most of all though, let's be sure that whatever we do, we live for God and his glory.